Um, so welcome to anyone who is listening online. Um, I hope you're having a lovely summer. Um, really nice to be here in the building. I feel like I haven't been here for ages. I was on Kids Church last week and we've been on holiday. So um, really lovely to see you all. Um, so I'm talking about Micah and I'm going to start with a story. Um, so Johnny was 18 and Johnny had just got his first job in his uncle's wheelbarrow factory where they made wheelbarrows. And um, he was... He was having a conversation with his uncle, and his uncle said to him, we're losing money in the factory. I'm going to employ you as a security guard, and I want you to see if there's any sort of fraud going on. You know, what's happening in this company? Why aren't we making money? Why are we losing money? And so he shadowed the other security guards for a few days. And, um, you know, he noticed this old guy, Bob. And every day, Bob went out of the factory of a wheelbarrow, and in his wheelbarrow was a box. And he said to the other security guards, what's in this box? And they didn't seem to know. And so, um, and so he, um, he just um, he said, okay, I'm going I'm to have a, a look at what's in this box. Um, and so he said, Bob, what's in your box? And, um, and Bob said, oh, it's, got, it's nothing really. It's not important. And he said, you know what, what's in the box? Can I have a look? And he looked in this box. He said it was sawdust. And he said, why have you got sawdust in this box? And Bob said, well, I work really hard. And I want to show my grandkids how hard I work. So when I do all the cutting from what I do, I gather it up, I put it in a box, and I have this little box of sawdust. And I say to my kids, this is my grandkids, this is how hard I've worked. And he's like, okay, it's a bit odd, but, you know, let him go. And so he has his next review meeting with his uncle. And in his next review meeting, his uncle says, look, we're still losing money. You know, the factory's really not working. Um, You know, there's got to be some fraud out there. You've got to find it. And he can't really think of anything, but he thinks, right, I'm going to go back and, and look in this box. And he, you know, next time he sees Bob, he sees Bob go out with this um, wheelbarrow and this box full of sawdust. And he pokes around in the box and he thinks, you know, okay, I can't, I can't find anything. You know, I can't find any money or anything hidden in this box. Um, you know, and then he has his next review meeting. And at his next review meeting, his uncle says, I'm really sorry, Johnny. I'm going to have to close the factory. We've lost all our money. Um, you know, that's it. That's the end of it. And Johnny's really sad. And 20 years later, he's working as a hospital porter. And, um, you know, he's just about doing his job. And he sees this really old person come in on his kind of last legs, his kind of, you know, um, basically coming into hospital to die. And he recognizes him. And he says, Bob, do you remember? It's me, Johnny. We worked together at the wheelbarrow factory. And, um, and Bob says, yeah, yeah, I remember you. And um, Johnny says... Um, Yeah, I remember you always had that wheelbarrow, and in that wheelbarrow you had that box, and in that box you had the sawdust. He said, what was all that about? He said, you know, we had to close that factory. It was so sad. That was like, you know, my first job and everything. And, um, yeah, we never found out what happened. And and Bob looks at him in the eye, and he said, well, you know, there was lots of fraud going on. And Johnny said, no. And he said, well, every day I walked out with a wheelbarrow. I like that story, and um, a colleague told it to me. And one of the reasons I like that story is sometimes we can become so focused on this kind of small little box that we miss the big picture. And I think that's the same for the book of Micah. You know, sometimes we kind of look at what other people are doing. Last week, Pete spoke about climate change. We can look at what companies are doing or not doing in government. And actually, we miss the kind of the picture of, you know, kind of what's going on under our noses. Um, So, if we can have the um, next slide. 
Um, so Micah is a, um, a book in the Old Testament. It's towards the end. Um, and I'm not going to do a big overview um, of it. Um, I'm just going to give you a bit of history and then focus on a particular verse. If you do want to know more about it, um, the Bible Project do a six-minute, 47-second video, which is very good. It gives a very good oversight, a little animation, um, and it tells you all about it. So if you have any books in the Bible which you think, actually, you know, I don't really understand this Bible, um, I don't understand this book, where it's going, it all seems doom and gloom and judgment, then I highly recommend um, the Bible project. Uh, Next slide, please. Um, So Micah is a prophet from a small agricultural town um, just um, southwest of Jerusalem, and his ministry overlaps with Isaiah. Um, So Micah's message is basically telling people to listen to God. He's telling the leaders to listen to God. Um, He's telling the prophets, the false prophets, to listen to God. Um, And he's saying, look, this is the time to listen. Um, And much of his judgment is addressed to the capital cities of Judea, Israel, Jerusalem, and Samaria. And their leaders were practicing this kind of false doctrine, which led to a real false understanding of who God was and what the character of God was. And what it meant was that lots of women and children were being mistreated. There was real unjust business practices and there was exploitation of the poor, many of whom were kind of from small rural villages like Micah. And he was calling out in his book and saying, look, the rich are living in luxury and the poor are marginalized to pay for their lifestyles. Uh, next slide, please. Um, and Micah is particularly known for one verse, which is Micah 6 8. Um, and he genuinely wants to know what God requires of him. Um, he's prophesying that judgment is coming. And, um, you know, he says, What can we do to make it right with you? Do you, you know, at the time people were sacrificing their children, he says, You know, do you want our firstborn children? Do you want our money? Do you want our most prized possessions? And God says, no, not your gifts, your words, or even your most prized possessions. I want you to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with me. And it's really interesting when we look at our world today, because it was written in 5th century BC. But actually, when we look at our world today, the rich are still living in luxury, and the marginalized are suffering to pay for that. So I'm sure you are aware that at the moment it feels like we're all in drought. Um, You know, we've got what they call a false autumn, where the leaves are coming off the trees because they are um, kind of, um, um, what's the word, kind of um, conserving, um, conserving their resources to survive. Um, Yeah, and so... So, you know, but despite that, we still have food on our shelves in the supermarket. Most of us still have petrol in our cars. But um, Pete spoke about it last week. Unchecked climate change will push 130 million people into poverty and 200 million people will have to leave their homes and their ancestral land to migrate to live. So that's two and a half times the entire population of the UK. By June 2022, the number of acute food insecure people, so that's people whose access to food both threatens their lives and their livelihood, has increased to 345 million in 82 countries, and that's according to the World Food Programme. And it's interesting, even in the UK, where we've got this cost-of-living crisis and you've got a conservative leadership um, um, campaign, and people are kind of vying over uh, tax cuts. And, um, you know, we're not talking about actually how can we improve the lives of those who are really struggling. Um, You know, during the pandemic, we had an uplift in universal credit that's been taken away. 
One of the things they are talking about is a penny cut to the rate of income tax, the basic rate of income tax. So that would cost the, ex the um, exchequer £5 billion, but more than half of that would go to the richest fifth of households. And then we look at things like food banks, which have increased 81% over the last five years. And so ultimately, if we look at our world, it seems like it's the same as it was in Micah's day. And therefore, this message is the same. It's a message we actually see repeated both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So um, one of the um, questions which is asked many times um, in Scripture, where the young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, Teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And a lawyer asks the same question, trying to trick Jesus. Um, and he says, love God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And what I love about this and the kind of tie between the Old Testament and the New Testament is actually God's calling us to be part of this consistent story. You know, with the Israelites, he was saying to the Israelites, this is what you need to do. You need to act justly. You need to love mercy. You need to walk humbly with God, walk with God. And then Jesus comes along and he says, actually, this is for everyone. This is for all of us. It's not just for, um, you know, the, the Israelites and the Jews. It's for all of us. And we're all called into this story. Um, so next slide, I think. Um, so act justly. Um, so I found this really interesting. I've been a Christian for a long time, and it was only recently that I learned that actually the words that justice and righteousness are so interlinked that actually they can often be translated as one or the other. So Romans 6.13 says, Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. An instrument of righteousness is, I find it a little bit woolly. What, what does a kind of an instrument of righteousness actually mean? Does it mean we're kind of right, more right than people? We're better? But if we have the next slide, if we substitute that language, then actually it says, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and to offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument for justice. And I just think that's really amazing, an instrument for justice. What does it look like if we are an instrument for justice? And this word which is used in Micah 6.8 is um, mishpat. It's a Hebrew word, and it talks about kind of rendering a just decision in court. So it's not about adhering to the letter of the law, kind of what is the minimum standard we can do, but it's about the spirit of the law. You know, it's about holding our community to God's standard. And the other word which um, is similar, which um, is not used in this one, but... Um, excuse my Hebrew, it's something like teshdakuf, which actually means just. Um, and it expresses the idea of honesty, justice, and community loyalty. So when we're talking about justice, we're talking about justice in our communities. We're talking about justice, not for us as an individual, what does justice look like for me, but what does justice look like for us as a community and a wider community? So next slide, please. Um, I don't know if you know who all these people are. Um, so on the left, we have Jack Munro. Um, Jack Munro is a um, poverty campaigner and food blogger. She um, started a blog, I don't know, at least 10 years ago, when she had about 20 
30p a day to live on. And her son said, I don't want to eat this. I want to eat burgers like my friends do. And she literally got a can of kidney beans and some cumin and an onion, and she made burgers. And she looked at how you could make... Um, how you can make food from really basic ingredients, but really healthy and nutritious food. Um, and um, she's been doing this for years and years and years, and she actually has a real voice. Um, people really listen to her. She has a number of articles in, um, in papers and stuff, but she still relatively lives in poverty herself. She donates all the proceeds from her books to the Trust or Trust. Um, she's a very impressive person. On the right... Um, we have Martin Lewis. Um, so Martin Lewis um, started as a consumer journalist and, um, you know, kind of told people how to buy cheaper Sky subscriptions and that sort of stuff. But actually, he's been running this website for years called Money Saving Expert. And he's now got into this position where he's just looking at the cost of living crisis and going, this isn't right, and helping hold the government and hold regulators to account at the bottom, we've got um, Greta Thunberg, who I'm sure most of you know, who is a climate change activist um, and has spoken at platforms across the globe um, about climate change and what we need to do and our responsibilities as individuals and business and government. And then finally, we have uh, Marcus Rashford, who is a football player for Man City, who earns millions, but you know is a real advocate for... Um, uh, free school meals and ending holiday hunger and speaking up for, um, you know, those who really struggle with food poverty. And all these people who campaign for justice, they've suffered trolling, they've suffered kind of reputational damage. People said, what's it got to do with you? You know, why should you get involved? Um, and they're all people who have gone, actually, this is something which I'm really passionate about. And this is something in some of them, which, you know, their faith has motivated them um, to speak out. And again, it's, you know, one of those things where you think, okay, what does justice look like for me? You know, I may not be one of these people, I may not have this platform, but actually, what can I do? Um, next slide, please. Um, so then we talk about love mercy. So we've got act justly. Uh, other way, I think. Um, we've got act um, So act, it's kind of, this is how you behave, this is what you do. And then we've got love mercy. So what does it mean to love mercy? And I love the fact that it's like, it's, it's love mercy. It's not do mercy, kind of we're doing mercy to other people, but it's, it's loving mercy. It's kind of, you know, if you, if you love a person, you kind of submit to them, you yield to them. Um, you know, so when we see that need, that pain, that loss, that discrimination, bias, fear, or wrongdoing, do we respond with justice and judgment, or do we respond with mercy? Um, next slide, please. Um, so we have um, where Jesus um, was um, kind of cornered and there was a woman caught in the act of adultery and they wanted to see what, she would, what he would say, whether he would condemn her. Um, and so they kind of dragged her to Jesus and they said, look at this woman. She's been caught in the act of adultery. It says nothing about the man. It was just the woman. You know, what should we do? Should we stone her like Moses says? And... Um, Jesus just kind of bends down and writes on the dust and they don't really know what to do. And, you know, eventually he kind of says, well, you know, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone. And, um, you know, nothing much happens. He just carries on writing in the dust. And um, eventually everyone walks away. And she kind of looks up and she goes, and me, now what do I do? And, you know, he, he shows mercy. 
Um, you know, he says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go away now and do not sin anymore. So God calls us to act justly, but to love mercy and to respond with mercy and to show mercy. And we've just done a series on inclusion. And um, for me, so much of inclusion is about hearing people's stories. So I do it as part of my day job at work. um, And I get a lot of people in to do talks at lunchtime. And a lot of people may not agree with the different life stories and the different experiences. Um, But from my point of view, you don't have to agree with people. You have to listen. Because if you listen, then you have empathy. You understand what it's like to be in that person's shoes. And that's where we can show mercy to each other. You know, in a workplace situation, in our churches, in our communities, because we understand what life is like for other people. And, um, you know, when, where have we chosen to love and not to judge? Where have we re-educated ourselves to understand someone else's perspective? And where have we put our own judgment aside? A journalist once asked Mother Teresa how she could believe in God when there was such terrible poverty on the planet. And she replied, and she said, you can't blame God for the terrible poverty. There's enough resources on the earth. God's children just haven't learned how to share them. And sometimes it's hard to share because we feel like we've earned it. We feel like, you know, actually, we don't necessarily realize the privilege we have just from being born in the UK. But, you know, we're born in a situation where, you know, more or less men and women are treated equally, have equal access to education, where women generally don't die in childbirth, you know, where we have a health service. You know, but since last year, we've had, um, you know, Afghani girls who have had their education taken away from them, you know, who have had to stay at home, um, you know, since the UK and the US withdrawal last year, and they're unable to go out of the house without a full burqa or accompanied by a male relative. We've got those who are leaving everything they own, their their friends, their networks, um, taking all their money to pay to take a boat across the channel because there's no way to claim asylum on non-British shores. And they want to rejoin people who they know or close family in the UK and we're not offering family visas. And it's interesting what mercy looks like in those situations because so often we kind of think it's okay, but we don't really think, actually, what, what privilege do we have ourselves? And what does mercy look like in our supermarket choices, our free time? Our conversations with friends and colleagues, what we read and how we challenge what we read, our support for those who have different lifestyles. Are we merciful? And then the next slide um, is about walking humbly with God. Um, and I really, I really like this idea of walking humbly because it's not about just being humble it's about walking so when you walk you put one foot in front of another it's an active journey where you have to keep going Um, and it's quite hard to keep going Um, but it's not it's not just walking it's walking humbly with God so actually we're not walking humbly alone we're not doing this whole journey of justice and mercy and humility um, alone but we're doing it with God and um, next slide please there's when we say the word humble, I think, I think humble has quite an interesting idea in our society because most of um, 
the stuff about being humble. It's about promoting ourselves, whether it's on social media or kind of ideas or on LinkedIn or kind of to get your next job. It's all about kind of making ourselves look good. Um, and I found this quote which said, Biblical humility means believing what God says about you over everyone else's opinion, including your own. So what does God say about us? Well, God says that you are a love child of God. He says that he delights in you. He says that he cherishes you. He says that you are protected, that you are under the shadow of his wings. It requires embracing who you are in Christ over who you are in the flesh. To be biblically humble is to be so free of concern for your own ego that you unreservedly elevate those around you. And C.S. Lewis says the same sort of thing. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And therefore, it's really standing up like those um, faces which I showed earlier, kind of standing up for justice against the flow and responding with love and not with fear. Sometimes fear can be the thing which stops us loving, but responding with love to all and then walking in partnership with God. And managing to do all of this without worrying about what others think of you, without your own reputational um, consequences or financial consequences, and also letting others' journeys and ideas and experiences be heard, and sometimes that as at the expense of our own. And that's a challenge from Micah, really. It's a, it's a sit up and listen. It's sit up and listen. Look at what's going on around you. Don't just focus on something so small that you're missing the kind of bigger picture. But actually, what are we doing to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God? Um, I'll pray. Father God, we thank you for this challenge, Lord, and we thank you that we don't do it alone. God, that we do it with you. You are a God who we walk with. And Father, we just pray for all the situations which we're in, God. God, help us to act justly, God. Help us to love mercy, to love those around us, God, to be you, like you were there with the woman um, who was caught in the act of adultery, who did not condemn. Help us to love mercy and help us to walk humbly, God. Help us to be so secure of who we are in you because we know that we are loved by you, God, that we are able to follow you and to do what you've called us to do in all situations. In Jesus' name, amen.